Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loyal, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. This is a most special Sunday for a lot of reasons. First and foremost, it is a Sunday of what we call Cheese Fair in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And this evening, on the eve of this day, on Sunday evening, we officially begin in the Byzantine Church and many Eastern churches, the season of Lent, the season of the Great Fast, the Bright Sadness. And what happens today, and why we call it Cheese Fair, is because, as you recall from last Sunday, last Sunday was the Eastern Mardi Gras, it was the Carnivale, it was the last time we would eat meat. Today is the last time we would eat dairy products. That's why you call it Cheese Fair. In other words, eat your cheese, eat all your cheese products today, and after that, until Easter, we will not eat the flesh of animals anymore. At least that is the traditional fast. It is a fast in which we abstain from all the fleshy things, especially the flesh of animals. Nothing wrong with animals, just that, let's face it, the food of animals is very tasty, very succulent, lots of good, tasty, fatty-related kind of sensations. And so we pull back from that during this period of the Great Fast because it's a way of cleansing ourselves. And also, don't forget, those foods are usually used in association with celebrations. We don't celebrate now because we were in a period of mourning, mourning for our own sins, mourning for the effects of original sin. And so we pull back from all of that sensuality, again, not because it's bad in itself, just because we pull back from anything that is excessive or celebrative, and we open ourselves up to a vigilance, a spiritual vigilance, in which we divest ourselves of anything that might distract from our total focus on our repentance, on our purity of heart. We try to move beyond the tyranny of the passions, which so often seem to dominate us, even in little ways. I mean, let's face it. Oftentimes, we make a choice. You know, we go to the refrigerator, and there could be something healthy there, or there's something kind of uh, more fun, shall I say. And oftentimes, we choose the more fun thing. Not always, but oftentimes. It could be something as simple as that, or something as big as trying to move beyond, for example, maybe our use or abuse of pornography, or other kinds of impurities, other kinds of selfishness and narcissism. So it's a stripping away and a divesting ourselves of so much, to kind of empty ourselves out, purify ourselves. We purify ourselves physically too. Let's face it, when you pull back from certain foods, 
especially the, the fatty, rich foods, your body does purify itself. So we purify ourselves physically, emotionally, spiritually on all levels. Remember, those things always go together. We never do just one thing. We don't compartmentalize our spirituality. And the observance, especially in the Eastern churches of the Great Fast, is very, very integrated in this way. In other words, if we can pull back from something physical, it helps us to pull back from things on other levels, such as some spiritual problems. And also, we, as we pull back, we also add on. What we add on, though, are things like more prayer, more repentance, more reflectiveness, more quiet time, more time with the Lord, more time reflecting on our own selves, our own sinfulness, and how we could become more pure, become more worthy to receive the resurrected Christ, especially in the Eucharist on Pascha. And so we add on prayer, but we also add on greater works of charity. And all these three things go together, because if you pull back from one thing, it makes room for something else. And that room is room for closeness to God, more prayer, more seriousness in our spiritual life, which then enables us to be more charitable. So it all happens naturally. In other words, if we say no to one thing, we necessarily say yes to the other and vice versa. So we're going to say no to excess, no to things that we know we don't really need, that we sort of take on in a somewhat selfish way. And again, it could be in small ways or it could be in very, very big ways. So it's a very, very integrated approach. And it begins today. We've moved into it gradually. We had our various themes throughout these last several Sundays in which we read scripture passages for the Sundays, the gospel readings, were passages that had to do with repentance, with God's mercy, and also judgment. Last Sunday was meat fair, but it was also the Sunday of the last judgment. So we talked about God's mercy, but also now judgment. And also today, and finally, we talk about forgiveness, of forgiving others from our hearts so that we can be forgiven, just as our Lord taught us in the Lord's Prayer. In other words, the condition for our being forgiven by God is our ability to forgive others. God is always there, present. His mercy and forgiveness shines upon us constantly in overflowing measure. But we don't avail ourselves of that unless we, first of all, turn to Christ and we want forgiveness, but we also forgive others. So again, a very, very integrated approach. Now this evening, as I mentioned, we will officially begin Lent in the Eastern Church. We count Lent from this Sunday evening all the way through to the week before Pascha. In the Latin Rite Church, it's a little bit different numbering, but all in all, it ends up being the 40 days, a period of 40 days. It's just that the Eastern Churches, we started really two days before what the West would call Ash Wednesday. In other words, we don't begin on Wednesday, we begin Sunday evening, which really means Monday. The setting of the sun, the evening Vesper service, and the church liturgical year is the beginning of the next day. So this Sunday evening, we have the very, very significant Cheese Fair Sunday and the Vespers of Forgiveness. And as always, the liturgical texts are so incredibly rich. And I'm going to read some of those texts. We're going to kind of move through some of those texts because they're just so descriptive. They really immerse us in the whole spirituality of this period of the great fast, this divesting ourselves and being vigilant so as to open ourselves up to God, to God's grace, to a greater awareness of our own sinfulness, and eventually to God's mercy and redemption and his victory over sin and death. In the Vesper service for this Sunday, that would be Saturday evening, we sing verses like this. 
Alas, I have been stripped of my divine garment by transgressing your commandment, O Lord, and by following the counsel of the enemy. I am now clothed with fig leaves and the garments of skin. I now eat my bread by the sweat of my brow, and because of my fault, the earth is condemned to bring forth thistles and thorns. But you, O Lord, born of the Virgin, in these last times, call me back to enter once again into paradise. I'm going to analyze this for a moment because every line of this is very significant. The first line, alas, I have been stripped of my divine garment. Now, that word garment is very, very meaningful in the theology of the Eastern churches. Many of the Eastern fathers of the church believed that as they looked at original sin in what John Paul II would call in his theology of the body, original man, in other words, how we were first meant to be. We had a certain purity about us, a certain wholeness, as we used here this term divine garment. In other words, we remain in the image likeness of God. And early on, we imaged God. We were more closely in his image likeness because we were innocent. We were pure. Adam and Eve were before the fall. And so the garment that the Eastern Fathers referred to is a very interesting concept. What it exactly means, uh, well, you have to kind of research it a bit. It can mean something such as literally the garments of skin, meaning the skins of animals. Remember, Adam and Eve had to clothe themselves eventually. They had to get the skins of animal, you know, fur to keep warm and to keep covered. When they were in their state of original innocence, they did not need that. There was something more spiritualized about their being. We don't know exactly what it was like, but I think we get a good glimpse of it in the resurrected Christ or in the Virgin Mary who ascends body and soul into heaven. In other words, as the West would call it, the assumption, or in the East, the dormition. Whatever happened to Christ and in the Virgin Mary, we see in both of them what was originally intended for all of us, for all humanity, and eventually what our ultimate destiny will be. So the Eastern Fathers had a kind of interpretation of Adam and Eve in their original state as having an appearance that would have been more spiritualized. They had a body, but somehow it was more spiritualized. So they had what they call a divine garment. Now, they use this word garment because it's setting us up for what will be this other garment that we'll get. So the verse continues by saying, By transgressing your commandment, O Lord, and by following the counsel of the enemy, I am now clothed with fig leaves and the garments of skin. See, again, there's a lot of meditation upon this idea of being clothed, of, of, of a garment. In the first analysis, it's the divine garment, that garment of purity and innocence, that more spiritualized body or being that Adam and Eve had in their original innocence. But now it talks about being clothed again and the symbol being the fig leaves. Although we just have to start covering this body now, covering this body with things more of an earthly nature such as the fig leaf. And of course, the fig leaf would cover up those aspects of the body which mark our complementarity. In other words, our gender, male and female. And that is very significant too, because if you notice in the book of Genesis, the standard by which we measure the harmony of all creation is how the man and woman, Adam and Eve, looked at each other, naked yet without shame. In other words, they looked at each other in a mystical way, a sacramental way, the way that we are supposed to look at each other even now and forever the way we were intended to at the beginning. Now, when we return, we're going to talk more about this interesting word, garment. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. 
That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, and I invite you to join me on the Light of the East pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul to celebrate the canonization of Popes John Paul II and John XXIII. In addition to celebrating the sainthood of two world-renowned popes, this trip will be a powerfully moving and truly unforgettable experience of the Church breathing with both lungs, East and West. We will visit major religious and historical sites of the ancient Roman and Byzantine empires, and you will hear from people who actually knew these two saintly popes. I guarantee you will never see the Church as same way again, and you will be making your personal contribution toward the cause in which these two popes were committed, unity in the church between East and West. Join Father Loya Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through October 30th for this spiritual event of a lifetime, the pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul. Limited spaces, reserve early by going to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com for all the details. October 21st through the 30th, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host on this very, very significant Sunday. There's another reason why it is significant, and I have to admit, because today, in this very day, I turn to the age of 60. That's right, today is my birthday, and I turn 60. Kind of a milestone for me, as it is, I imagine, for anybody who turns 60. I guess they say 60 is what, the new 30 or whatever. Anyway, it's, it gives me pause for reflection. The kind of reflection that we are supposed to have during Lent. So I think it's rather providential that my 60th birthday, a real landmark in our lives, and this short span that we're on this earth, 60 is kind of a landmark, I think. I know it is for me. We're called to reflect upon the brevity of our life and why we have to really, as they say today, get our act together. And that, of course, is what Lent is all about. So I do feel rather privileged and blessed that as I turn 60 and reflect upon my life and whatever part of my life is left on this earth, it certainly is a a time for reflection on that. At the same time, it's happening when we're called to reflect spiritually, even physically, on our entire being as we enter into Lent. In other words, what it's really all about, you know, just stop and Take stock of life and where we're going, where we've been, what it's all about, and that life really is brief on this earth. So we want to spend it, each moment of it, with as much consciousness of God and purity of heart as possible. And the season of Lent certainly helps us with that. So let's go back now to our word here, this key word in our liturgical services during Lent of the garment. I am now clothed with fig leaves and the garment of skin. As I mentioned earlier before the break, this is a very telling thing that Adam and Eve looked at each other, as the Bible says, they were naked but without shame. That's very significant because the Bible uses that aspect of us, in other words, our complementarity, our sexuality, to be the defining standard of the harmony between man and woman 
Adam and Eve, but all men and women, but also between us and God and between us and all creation. When Adam and Eve looked at each other, naked but without shame, when they had that innocent interior gaze, the peace of the interior gaze, as John Paul II would call it in his Theology of the Body, all was well with the whole order of creation, the relationship of God to humanity, of humanity to one another, humanity within himself, within ourselves, Adam within himself, Eve within herself, and also Adam and Eve and their relationship with nature. But that all gets ruptured. All those relationships get ruptured now, and it is signified, interestingly enough, by the gaze of the man to the woman, the woman to the man. So the fig leaf is very, very significant. And why the complementarity? Why that aspect of us that is gendered? Because our sexuality, our ability to love, to bring life into this world, is the thing that makes us most like God. And John Paul II does wonderful, wonderful work and beautiful thoughts in this whole area. Because God is a union community of persons. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons in the union and communion of love. And from that love comes life. Life and love go together. I call it the L words. Life and love always go together. And so that part of us that is dedicated to love, to intimacy, and to life is the most special part of us. And so it's very, very significant that the Bible, the Word of God, the Bible itself, would point to that part of us as the standard of harmony in the whole order of creation. That's the part of us that is most wounded. And that's why we do a lot of focus on that part of us during Lent. We talk about our passions, especially the passions of lust and gluttony. And that's why we pull back from those things to try to strive for a purity of heart. In other words, to try to regain the echo of that original innocence, that original interior gaze. Now, the verse continues, I now eat my bread by the sweat of my brow, and because of my fault, the earth is condemned to bring forth thistles and thorns. Now, you see, there's that indication of the rupture between humanity and nature. So, we kind of war against nature. Nature wars against us. Not entirely. There's still a lot of beauty, obviously, and balance between nature and human beings. But at the same time, let's face it, it's, it's out of whack. And that's because of that original sin. So, I now eat my bread by the sweat of my brow. In other words, whatever Adam and Eve did in the garden, I want to use the word their work, how they worked in the garden, it was probably something more like play, more enjoyable. They were to work in the garden, but not work in the sense that we mean it. In other words, to be the custodians, to be stewards of it, to keep things in order, to enjoy it. And there were certain boundaries that God set up for our enjoyment. But of course, Adam and Eve, as we do, transgress those boundaries and everything gets out of kilter, out of, out of whack. I now eat my bread by the sweat of my brow and because of my fault, the earth is condemned to bring forth thistles and thorns. But you, O Lord, born of the Virgin in these last times, call me back to enter once again into paradise. In other words, we long, we have it deep inside of us, we have this distant echo of how it once was. We know deep inside of us that we're supposed to be in harmony with God, with one another, especially a harmony between man and woman, husband and wife, and therefore harmony between us and the whole order of creation. But we notice that something, something is missing, but yet we have some distant echo of that that burns deep in our soul and our being as human beings. And we desire to return to that. Well, we can never return to the way it was, but because of Jesus Christ becoming incarnate, 
suffering and dying and redeeming us, which is what the next several weeks are going to be all about, culminating in, of course, in his resurrection. Because of that, not only do we regain some of the old sense of paradise, but we actually are taken even beyond it. That's why St. Augustine would say, oh, happy fault, in reference to original sin. Not that he, as a saint, or any of us is happy, or God is happy that we fell, but only because of God himself redeeming us through Christ, that that fault now turns into something even greater. Imagine the love of God. Here we are, imagine Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, so totally innocent, so totally blessed by God in this harmony with God in creation. And in return for all of that, what did we do? We resented God. We, did, we rebelled against him. We disobeyed him. We stopped seeing sacramentally as he created us to be, to see as he sees, which is sacramental, meaning to see God present in this great harmony and order of creation. And what does God do in return? He takes us beyond. He takes us to a whole new height. You know, we, we actually have something in store for us that would have been even greater had we just stayed innocent like Adam and Eve. As good as that was, Christ comes to the picture as a result of sin, and he's going to do one better. Instead of repaying us with punishment, he's going to take us to whole new heights. Whole new height. Imagine that. What incredible love there is by God for us. And what is the only honest response of that, it would have to be what Lent is about. It's that repentance, that that sense of, what have I done? What have I done to this great God in my sins, whether small or large? And I must repay God in the way that is honest, that is true, and that is by turning to him with that purity of heart. And so we long for paradise. It's interesting that in the Byzantine liturgical worship, there is in Byzantine churches a large edifice that separates the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, which is considered to be heaven. It separates that part of the church from the nave and the rest of the church. And during much of the services, especially during Lent, the priest will stand in front of that wall, in other words, outside of the sanctuary, and he takes on the figure of Adam, which, of course, symbolizes all of us. The priest takes that on because he is a sinner too, but he's also representing all of us as sinner. And he's sort of like our ambassador before God, as though he were Adam knocking on the gates of paradise, begging Christ to let him back in. Remember, Adam and Eve were cast out of paradise because of sin. So the priest stands there outside of the gates of heaven, begging to be let in, and that way representing all of us begging. So it's interesting how in the liturgical life, even the art, the architecture, the way an Eastern church is designed, it immerses us in this whole story, this whole incredible mystery of salvation, of the human journey, and of Christ's redemption. And in fact, this evening, when we actually begin Lent with the service of forgiveness, the priest spends a lot of time standing outside of the icon screen, in other words, the gates of heaven, taking on that person of Adam, begging to be let back in. One of the most moving aspects of this service, and it happens in the afternoon or evening in Byzantine churches, is the exchange of forgiveness, where we begin Lent by asking of one another forgiveness. Because if we want God's forgiveness, the only way to really receive that is by first forgiving one another. 
and asking God for his mercy and forgiveness. And we do that as part of the service this evening that begins Lent. It's called the Forgiveness Vespers. And we'll say over and over again during this time of Lent, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm Father Thomas Loya, a Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>